freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. And, you know, movies 
they don't always necessarily paint us gun owners in the best light, even if they don't really mean to, right? So their, their gun handling in a scene might not be amazing and that sort of thing. But you as the armor, right, you make sure that things are safe on the set. And then Hollywood Weapons, you take these scenes and you go, so could Bruce Willis have done X, Y, and Z, right? Well, we try to take away the myth, you know, in the mystery. Is it something that's going to bring reality yeah. or not? Right? Yes. I mean, some of these shots that you see in the film, the guy's got a handgun and makes a thousand-yard shot with it. That's <laughs> what happens. But let's test it and yeah. find out. Um, and, of course, we try to do the more iconic going cooperating with us and they were willing to do it and come on the show because they thought the concept was so great. So kudos to you know Tim Kremen and Dan Graham who were the producers and writers of the show. They came up and conceived this whole idea. And to tell you the truth, I hate doing on television. I hate having my picture taken and all that. But I agreed to do those shows because I felt it was putting a spotlight on the role of the onset armor. And I wanted people to see the behind the scenes of how safe we actually are on the set. And so that, that was very important to me. And, and the fans have loved it. Well, the only person I know that could shoot a handgun a thousand yards would be Chuck Morris. Could you do that? <laughs> well, I can't do that, but, you know, there's so many things I can't do that Chuck Morris does. Yeah. So that's not fair to really, you know, make that comparison. After all, he's Chuck Norris. That's yeah. true. That's true. So, of the six seasons of Hollywood Weapons, which, where do folks find that nowadays? Because it is moved around a little bit. Yeah, well, it always airs on Outdoor Channel first. That's okay. the network that actually produces the show. Fantastic. But then older seasons are available on Amazon Prime, on Hulu, on many different uh, streaming platforms. So just do a Google search, you know, how can I watch Hollywood Weapons, and you'll probably find a variety of channels that you can actually, you know, and see the programs and see. You'll never see the most up-to-date season, because that always lags like one year behind, they have to air it first while on the outdoor channel. Uh, but there are ways to see all of them, and people binge them from start to finish. It's really cool to see, you know, all the audience and everyone, how they, you know, get excited about the show. And what's, your, what's your favorite That's one? That's where I was going. Yeah. Favorite episode? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, I would have to say that my favorite episode of all was the Star Trek episode that you did at the end of season one. Uh, we have Captain Kirk fighting the Gorn, and he develops his own gunpowder, you know, by digging up all, all the elements and everything. And the test that we did it didn't come out really well, but we got to go to Ticonderoga, New York, where they have the Star Trek original series set tour. And it's like a museum, it's an experience. And they literally, they have everything. They have the engineering department and the medical sick bay, and they have the bridge and original phasers. They even have an original camera from Desiree Studios that was probably used in the filming of the original series. And to stand there and actually see what they built, it was like recreating the Enterprise. And as a long-time Trekkie, I, I have to say that was, you know, really, really cool. The bad part about it was they put me in a red shirt. And we all <laughs> oh, know no, what no, no. Did, you, did you at least 
just have a, a, a name badge? A symbol and everything, but you know what happens to red yes, shirt people in Star yeah. Trek, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But luckily I survived, yeah. you know, yeah. and it was good. But uh, Ticonderoga is a beautiful area. Of course, the original historical fort is still there, Fort Ticonderoga, and the experience, the Star Trek experience, is worth traveling all the way for. So if you ever get the chance, you should know, be there. I love that. So what... Um, episode or, or experiment or whatever maybe surprised you the most by the results? Yeah, you know, there's been so many because uh, one of the hallmarks of the show, and, and again, kudos to John Carter, our director, and um, he's also the expert on high school photography that you see, but he always reiterates to everyone that the promise we've made to the viewers is we're going to show them the test whether it succeeds or whether it fails. We don't cheat anything. We don't try to make it come out good. In fact, there was one episode where we did five different tests from a television show. They all failed. And and people were going like, well, we can't have an episode where everything goes wrong. And it's like, yeah, we can, because that's what the show is really about. Um, but I would have to say that the one that really surprised me the most was the pilot episode that we did. Uh, we tested a scene from Criminal Minds where we fired firearms underwater at a windshield. Because in the show, uh, a car goes off into a river and the bad guys are still fighting and a police officer pulls out his gun underwater and shoots the bad guys in the windshield. And um, to actually do that and reproduce that was, was pretty challenging. Uh, it was a surprise, not so much because of what Browns finally made it through the windshield. And to find that out, you have to watch the episode. I'm not going to tell you which one. But what was surprising was how well the firearms actually functioned under the water. Uh, because everyone was laying bets, you know, it's like, yeah, you'll get one shot off and it's, you know, yeah. going to jam or something. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't. So watch the episode and, and you'll see how cool it is. And, and tests like that are always challenging to me. I, I want to know myself. So that, that's what we go after. Did they actually handhold the gun and shoot it underwater? They did. Oh, my God. Yeah. That would be a little scary there. It was, it was you know... A lot of the things that we do are very, very challenging. You know, we've dropped Terry on a descending line. We've done like a parachute drop. We've done things underwater multiple times and everything. But when you have an embedded safety protocol, and the good thing about the, the outdoor channel, of course, is most of their people, they've all worked on these gun trips before. So they understand all the protocols and everything. And when you have that so kind of ingrained in people, you'd be surprised the things that you can get away with as far as someone else might look at it and go, oh my God, that's dangerous. We should never do that. It's like, no, it's just another problem. You've got to solve the problem and figure out the best safest way to, to film it. Movies as well. What is the last movie that you? Oh my gosh, uh, the last movie I actually worked on was a movie that's out now called Babylon. Uh, I haven't seen the movie yet, so I don't know what made it into or didn't make it into the final cut. But I was down there as the armor. There's a scene where a director in the movie had to shoot a Thompson, and they were having some difficulty figuring out, like, okay, he shoots it, but then what do you do with the gun and everything? And so they decided to put the armor in wardrobe. And so 
I don't know if I'm in it because I didn't see I the final it. cut, but I'm liable to be the guy who receives the gun from the actor in the film, you know, and that, that, was, that was kind of fun. Because you can't drop a Thompson. You can't <laughs> drop a Thompson. They did make me shave my beard, though, because it didn't fit the image for the film. Yeah. So this is, this is 2.0. Well, they better at least have you in there because of that. I hope so. I saw myself in, in the trailer. They, they showed the scene in the trailer, but I don't know if it really is until the final movie here. I love all of this. So, um, you wear so many hats, you do so many things, and so with ISS, um, what is your, your role actually in that corporation, in that company? So, I'm one of the managers in the weapons department. Um, we have a little over 17,000 firearms at this point, and our job is to supply both the technical know-how, the safety know-how, and the props themselves, which are firearms, set up to shoot blanks. Uh, two television and movie industry uh, productions, and, and that includes everything, live performances, reality shows, live events, and things like that, historical reenactments, or whatever it might be. So we're basically prepping firearms, sending them out with licensed individuals to be on set and run them, uh, and that's both national and international. We do projects all over the world. You have become a museum piece, <laughs> right? <laughs> Could you ever I'm not sure imagine? how to take that. I know, you know? right? <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, there's been a couple of cool things that have happened. Cody Firearms Museum kind of honored the Hollywood Weapons Show by including uh, kind of a rotating clip of our episodes in their science and technology section. So that was that was quite the surprise uh, when I visited there uh, last year, and to see that was it was really kind of cool. We also have uh, at the National Firearms Museum in Virginia, they have a display that's called Guns of the Movies, and there's several pieces from ISS that are on display there. Um, it, it was beautiful, it's absolutely beautiful. The NRA does a wonderful job, um, and it was kind of cool because I actually had two pieces in the museum that I stood there and went, I built those with my own two pieces, you know. Uh, one of them was the Sutton's shot. Excuse me. One of them was the silent shotgun from No Country for All Men. And the other one in their technology branch was a Calico Light Weapon Systems pistol. That, that's where I actually started my career, was working for an arms manufacturer. And it was it was Calico. So it was kind of cool to go to a museum and see something you build behind glass and everything and having people come in and see it and appreciate the work that you do. So you helped build those Calico Space Age guns? I did. Underground I, magazines? I did. That was my first job out of college, was as the quality control manager, and then I became production manager. And uh, we were actually doing really well. We were in some competitions for some different SWAT teams that were looking for a new weapon. We sold several versions of it to different special forces around the world, and then unfortunately, the California assault weapon ban, which restricted the magazines to 10 rounds, kind of put the company out of business because that high-capacity magazine was really the heart of that weapon. Why would you want one of those if you could only you know, have 10 rounds? Aren't there, because ISS is in California, aren't there some unique challenges? Speaking of challenges, they're having all the the museum of things that ISS yeah. is, in a sense, so, you know, in a state that's so not friendly. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of a, you know, image problem with California. I mean, there's a lot of restrictions there as far as what you can say. But we, as a manufacturer, as a dealer, and the 
movie work that we do. We have all the licensing required. We don't sell that. So we don't get into that, that debate at all. We're there to tell stories and the props, these firearms that we do are part of that story. And that's kind of where we leave it. It's, it's not about um, selling guns or, or being a dealer or anything like that. It's really more about the film industry. Be able to make a gun something that isn't, you know, like a space age yeah. gun. It's challenging, but it is fun. That's where we, we get to be really creative. And, you know, most people who are gunsmiths, they like working with their hands. I mean, we are creative people, and everyone in the film industry is like that. So when you build something unique and special, you know, be it the silence shotgun from No Country for Old Men or a laser bolt rifle from Oblivion that you give to Tom Cruise to shoot, um, it, it, it is special. It's fun. And you go to the movies, um, my kids, of course, now are much older, but when they were younger, they always wanted to see the movie the dad worked on. Sure. So I'd go out and I'd watch the movie, or watch the audience and they get excited when they see the gun or they clap and yell or popcorn at the screen and you can say I had a little bit to do with that not a lot but just a little tiny part of it. and that's what keeps us going because the job in the film industry itself is extremely difficult extremely stressful um, you miss a lot of anniversaries and birthday parties and family life events and everything. So if you're not really into it, you're not going to succeed. But but most of us, you know, especially the people at ISS, we are into it. And that's what drives us that creativeness and everything. It's exciting to be on set. It is. And it's weird because you'll work on something for a week. And it's only 10 seconds of the film. Yeah. You know? you know, people don't realize that, you know, your average movie, your average hour and a half movie will take 16 weeks of prep, 16 weeks to 18 weeks of filming, and then another maybe four to six weeks of rap. And every day you're producing the seconds of that film. And then the editor, of course, is the person who magically strings everything together and makes it the beautiful product that you know go and enjoy seeing. They're the hero and the villain because they are. they're slicing and dicing stuff that land on the floor and stay there. But yet, what they keep is the gem. And and we have this wonderful thing now on DVD called the director's cut. Yes. Oh, sometimes you get to see those missing cuts <laughs> that you didn't see. Uh, in the movie theaters, and one thing I do want to point out, especially as we're still kind of struggling with COVID and everything worldwide, it's it's very um, satisfying and, and it makes me happy to see that like movie theaters have survived. Yeah. There was a moment there yes. where it was like doubtful if you'd ever be able yeah. to go out and have date night again and yeah. take someone to the movies on a Friday night because of the whole you know worldwide pandemic and. and People have persevered. It may not be exactly the way it was before, but the industry has survived. The movie theaters have survived, and I got to tell you, there's so many good projects that are soon to come out. Uh, you guys are going to enjoy it all. We got three different westerns that we're working on. We just finished filming Attraction Two, okay. so that'll be coming out sometime this year. Attraction One, of course, was the number one money maker for Netflix during the pandemic lockdown. It was a huge uh, motion picture event, if you will. So we've got high expectations for Attraction 2 um, and just many, many others that, that are to come. And again, it's just, 
it's nice to see that we can look forward to those kind of projects because at one point it was going to be nothing but animation, right. you know, because you couldn't have actors standing on a set without their masks. Right. Right. Scary times, but we all come together and we work through it. There's many reasons why you should still be using a real firearm on set. Uh, there's, of course, the historical accuracy. You can't find a replica for every single gun that's out there. There's a functionality aspect of it. Um, we have a lot of viewers that are of the movie-going age that are coming out of the military right now. They're veterans. They know what the guns sound like. They know what the guns look like. And the props, be it a firearm or any other prop in a movie, the props are part of what creates the illusion of the movie, right? If, if you got the right cards, the right wardrobe, the right cell phones, but you have the wrong gun in a movie, it kind of busts that bubble and it, it ruins the movie. So you have to cater to the audience. And realism, especially in the age of HDTV and 4K film and things like that, the, the audience demands that realism. So we don't go out on a show, even if it's a big shoot-em-up, we don't go out there just with real guns. You always go out with a whole package. There's rubber guns, there's replica guns, there's real guns that shoot blanks, and you use the correct prop in the correct scene. The audience, of course, always sees it as the same gun, but it's it's really not. So I think people that you know were hesitant after the Rust situation have, have examined it and have come to realize that there is still a place for that um, in the film industry. But definitely it, that incident caused us to re-examine how things are done in the industry, uh, to increase training, and things like that. So, um, but, you know, it was a mistake, but yeah, I mean, I know you learned, but seeing you on set couldn't happen. It just couldn't happen. You check the gun before you check the gun. Yeah. You check it after, and something, somebody dropped the ball. And so why would a whole industry change because of one mistake? Yeah, you know, I, I think that that, first of all, thank you for the compliment. And again, it wasn't our equipment or our personnel that was out there. If it had been, I can guarantee that never would have happened. Um, and, and there was a certain element of hey, the, the system isn't broken. There's nothing to fix here. There was something that got done wrong in New Mexico. Uh, we're not going to comment one way or the other because it's still kind of an ongoing criminal investigation. And we don't know. And we don't really know. But um, I think there's, there, that's why we're still using real guns. People realize that you know this was some kind of anomaly. And, and we don't know for sure what happened yet. We'll find out probably when all the court cases are settled and all that. But one thing that it did kind of put a spotlight on was that there wasn't actually a national standard for like on-set armor. You, you had varying levels of competency depending upon what company you worked with and so on. And so in the last year, we at ISS and industry as a whole have been promoting more training and different things like that, and we're, we're on our way to creating like, some form of national standards so that things like that can't happen. That makes sense. All right, well, we got to start wrapping up here, but... Uh, it's, Wait, it's been a year. I know, we've got lots more to talk about, but um, we'll save that for the next time. Absolutely. And one encouragement...
encouraging thing that I feel like I'm hearing um, you say is that we are mentoring up other people so that this is going to continue into the future. Because there was a time frame when Dan and I had Easy Firearms, our retail gun shop, that to find even a, an armor, to find a gunsmith was getting harder and harder and I felt like it was a dying industry, a dying breed, a dying art. It, it's it's not dying. It, it's, it's alive and well and there are different gunsmithing colleges throughout the country. In fact, we just hired a, a gunsmith uh, from North Carolina. He was a graduate of Montgomery College, you know, very, very talented guy named Jonathan Nunn. Um, it's hard to find those people, for sure, but that's because, again, we're artists, we're creative people, you know, not every painter is a Picasso, right? But there are those gems out there that, you know, they're diamonds in the rough, uh, we get to, you know, utilize them in Hollywood, other gunsmiths go and build custom rifles, uh, so it's not a dying art form, it, it, it will continue, especially here in the United States, we have a strong firearms tradition here in the United States, whether it's plain gun ownership or it's hunting, you know, activities or things like that. And uh, I don't think that it's a dime for so don't worry about that. So glad to hear that. Well, Larry Zanoff, it's always an honor always and a, a pleasure. pleasure. Thank you so much for taking some time Thank with us. Thank you for having me on again. Thank you. See you and later. tell folks how they can follow everything again, you do. And outdoor Channel, Hulu, um, Amazon Prime, watch Hollywood Weapons, watch Gun Stories. All these programs, again, show gun ownership in a positive light. We need that out there. And uh, anything that you see in the movies, always wait and read all the credits when they're done and look and see who the armorer is and start recognizing some different names and uh, we'll see you at the movies. I love that. All right, stick around. Lots more coming up from fabulous Las Vegas on Gun Freedom Radio.